0: Hello, welcome to Hatrick. I'm Jordan Della coltman joined by Elliot and Braden. As always, welcome back. It is Mother's Day. So uh, much love to all the mothers out there, to our mothers, obviously, uh, who I think listen to this show. So, uh, religiously. Well, at least one of them does. I don't know. Elliot's kind gonna... of. Maybe she'll listen to this one, Elliot, if, if we give her a little love. So happy Mother's Day. Um, lots to talk about. Uh, Oilers had a tough night but overall the playoffs have certainly been uh, exciting we're going to talk about that and then just a sort of deep dive into what else is going on in the sports world let's get to it here's topic one all right so we're going to start with the Oilers uh, as obviously all three of us are Oilers fans this feels a lot different than last year it feels nice to be in a series where you have you know the Oilers actually being able to win some games they lost game one obviously in a tight one after a difficult sort of third period there you know predominantly based on a, 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 a poor choice of, of pass by Mike Smith, something we have seen many times in his career. However, uh, on aggregate, I think he makes a lot better choices than poor ones. But when the poor ones happen like that, they, they burn you. I do remember, Braden, you earlier in the year were quite frustrated with both he and Miko Koskinen for costing the Oilers games based on some poor stick handling. Um, but the Oilers were able to bounce back in game two with a big win again, on the back of of Mike Smith. And then they went into L.A., took the long way into L.A., flew to Vancouver, then drove to Seattle, then got on a plane and flew to LA to avoid testing because apparently you still have to test to fly into the United States, but you don't have to test to drive into the United States. So to avoid testing and the risk of maybe losing a player here or there, pretty much every Canadian team, I believe, did did something. Don't they have uh, to
1: similar. test? Those as NHL players no, they have no, to that's test. That's no anyway? longer.
0: Nope. That's no longer oh, all that's
1: talent.
0: Well, after Omnicron, they lot, they basically did away lot. with that. Anyway, well, how do they, they find out somebody's in COVID LA? protocol? They don't. Have you heard of anyone in COVID protocol? Yeah, there's a guy right now. There's a
1: guy right now that just, I guess you'd have Uh, uh, Charlie McAvoy.
0: You'd have to be ill enough to get tested, but uh, you'd have to have symptoms. Yeah. Let me finish my story, Braden. Uh, They win game one in LA. So that's game three in a decisive. I think they scored eight goals. And then obviously Sunday night, uh, you know, Jonathan Quick came back. So we've seen Mike Smith back bounce back after a difficult loss. Much more embarrassing, including being pulled for Jonathan Quick, but he is a wily old veteran. He comes out, plays very well. The L.A. got back to playing their style of game, shutting the Oilers down in the neutral zone, making it difficult for them to play. Very aggressive penalty kill. Uh, And the game got a little bit out of hand for the Oilers late. You know, it, it, it devolved in such a way that they just weren't able to get their game back. So they find themselves now in a best of three here to finish this out. You know, we will at least go six. Um, they'll go to Edmonton for five and then back to L.A. for six. And if we need seven, we'll get there. Uh, we talked a week ago about what we expected. Elliot, you're a week into this as an Oilers fan. Um, how you feeling?
2: Well, it's difficult not to let uh, the recency bias sort of settle in after a tough game tonight. Um, but, you know, if you talk to me before this game, And I had felt Edmonton had been the better teams through games one, two and three, Uh, much more significantly. So obviously in games two and three, but even in game one, uh, you could tell that they were the better hockey team. They have more skill. They have a deeper lineup where they struggle or they have they're much better on the special teams. Uh, where they struggled or maybe it favors more LA is probably a net, but otherwise, you know, Edmonton is a better team in this series and they're the higher ranked team and they have the home ice advantage. And I do feel that. Um, But I just don't think there's an easy out in the NHL anymore. I mean, maybe Colorado and Nashville, we'll talk about other series later, but you know, like it's good. You're going to go at least six games in most of these series teams are just too close and it's, you know, one bad break one way or another can, can really swing a series. And I think, that's what we've seen tonight. I think LA needed to make a significant wholesale adjustments as a team to, keep, to, to sort of counter what the Oilers were doing. They made them and good on them. Good on um, Tom McClellan and, and the coaching staff and the players for executing. And now we'll see now the, the balls in Jay Woodcloth's court and the Oilers are going to have to respond to those changes themselves, but very, Interesting back and forth. I think the Oilers shot probably should be up 3-1 in this series. They're not. It's 2-2. But I think they're the better team.
0: It's interesting you bring up goaltending and suggest that LA's been better. When you consider even tonight, you know – I mean, it's only three goals against Mike Smith. The fourth one, obviously, is an empty netter. And the third goal, we can talk about if you want to. It's definitely one of those interesting plays that we've occasionally seen in the playoffs, where there's, you know, it goes to review, and it, you know, the Oilers are no, uh, not un, unfamiliar with those situations. I'm thinking of live with his arm buried inside Ugh. Cam Talbot's pads.
1: I should not uh, just think about Getzlaff. Regardless,
0: Mike Smith faced over forty five shots. And and when you're only letting three goals in and you're the goaltender being peppered for 40 shots, you you can't say that Mike Smith didn't do his job tonight to keep the Oilers in a game that they simply couldn't score in. Uh, And again, when you flip it around and suggest, you know, you've put, I think they put something like, was it 13 or 14 points up against the LA Kings up to that point in the series um, before, before Sunday night's game. I mean, I don't know. Is LA goaltending really that much better? I think Mike Smith probably actually has the edge over the entire series. Again, he makes one mistake, but he was, you know, he was equal to Jonathan Quick to that point in game one. Um, so I don't know if I agree with that. Braden, you know, you you and I and Elliot all discussed goaltending coming into the series. I think you were an advocate that Mike Smith had played well enough to be the starter to start the series. He's certainly done enough to stay the starter throughout this series so far. But for you, um, how's the goaltending fared? In terms of, is that the difference? I guess did, did you feel like that's what where Elliot is that that's sort of maybe LA's advantage?
1: It's fascinating. I I well first and foremost I'm thrilled that Mike Smith had the bounce back that he had. Not so thrilled that Quick had the bounce back he had. I was surprised to see Quick in this game uh, to start, but it seemed like Todd McLellan after the last game uh, knew right away that this was just a bit of an anomaly, and they were going to come back strong in the next game. Pick up pick up their play. The goaltending definitely. I mean, make Mike Smith. Uh, he didn't. He didn't even really let those. I mean, the, the goals went past them, but those. You know, Duncan Keith tipped the f- second goal. The first goal was uh, uh, just a, you know a bad turnover. Uh, he kept. The, he kept the Oilers in this. Uh, this game three, though. This could have for sure been a blowout. LA came on strong, peppered with game four. Game four. That's right. Uh, like it just. I mean, complete fire. Um, it could have been higher scoring. The Oilers had some, uh, really good chances, but, uh, just wasn't, you know, it wasn't their game. They're going to come back better next game. I'm, I'm amazed with how many, uh, games in the NHL playoffs so far have been such high scoring, like all but for Calgary and Dallas. Uh, it seems like the, the, the scoring has been, uh, off the charts.
0: Yeah, we're gonna we'll get to the rest of the NHL in a second. I want to stay with the others for one more one more moment here, Elliot. When you look now forward to again, as I say, the you know it's a three-game series, the first to win, two wins it. Uh Edmonton gets to go home. They've had you know pretty good success at home over the last little bit of the season, and obviously losing game one. But as you mentioned, you know, certainly playing their game at home. Um, do you think that this kind of win? Uh, for LA puts them back in the driver's seat? Does it give them the kind of momentum that they can ride forward? Or does this kind of, is, is, are we seeing like a cycle here where, you know, LA bouncing back from a tough loss? This is an opportunity now for the Oilers to do the same thing at home. Uh, Who do you think responds um, uh, to this result in game five uh, more effectively?
2: Well, you'd have to think the Oilers are going to have the advantage. They're going to be mad about what happened last game. There's what, like 17 game misconducts to end the game today. There's clearly some bad blood developing towards the team. And when, when you're in that kind of a state and you know the team that you're playing against well, I think you are advantaged at home and with the crowd we've seen that that place can go rocking. And I think tonight there was lots of, you know, the, the crowd certainly helped L.A. And, and I think that's good, too. Uh, that's, but what Edmonton's done here is they've wrestled back home ice advantage and need to capitalize on that and make that a thing. I don't want to belabor the point about goalies, but I think if you're going to ask me what happens in the next three games, it's a lot's going to be dependent on Jonathan Quick. Because I think on the whole of the series, the Edmonton Oilers have had not maybe more opportunities shots or, or more opportunities per se, but certainly higher quality. Uh, opportunities, you know, the save tonight against Yamamoto was a good example of that. That game, that that goal goes in. It's a two-one game. You've got a period and a half still left to go. Lots oh, of you know. Oh, how about
1: and
0: Zach Cassian's didn't... breakaway? I mean, that's the exactly. right off the start of the Four. game. So
2: yeah, and two, Evander yeah. Kane's one-timer that was. Yeah. You know, that there was yep, no, definitely examples there. The Oilers capitalized in games two and games three, and they won six nothing and eight two. So, yeah. what I think is the difference here. The, the only thing, the only thing that gives me concern is just the quality of um play of Jonathan Quick. And that's going to be tough. If the Oilers go into game five and they get back into that grinding role and they, you know, you're only going to score with dirty ones now. Uh in the crease. That's right. You, you know, supermanning the puck into the net apparently is allowed now. So you know you're going to have to do some of that deflections. Um, you know, Jonathan Quick is an all-star goalie and has been doing this a long time. And tonight was a good time
0: Stanley Cup champ.
2: Yeah, exactly. So that's what I'm thinking about. That, that's, that, that's the only, that's the difference maker is Jonathan quick able to play to that insane standard that we know he can. And if not, I think, you know, you'd have to feel pretty good you know, betting on the Oilers right now.
1: One other difference maker for me though, is Philip Dano right now. It's really like the, what they've been able to do with him. Uh, you can start to see the, the clock ticking his IQ going of where McDavid's is going to be, where those passes are coming from a little bit more. They're getting their sticks into the slot. Getting that open ice kind of shut down. You saw it in this game. Like, I, I think Dano is one of those guys that's going to make it really difficult here still moving forward.
2: Can I jump in on that? I, I, I feel like in every playoff series that we've seen up until this point that's involved Connor McDavid, the opposition has sort of stapled someone to uh, Connor McDavid. Think back to like Kessler and the Anaheim series. Um, you know, it doesn't seem like LA's doing that um does that surprise you like if i i just like i felt like oh yeah who's gonna who's gonna be it's they're playing them differently
0: it feels. Uh, it's hard to say because in two games they were completely un like incapable of controlling them i mean if you mm-hmm. look at you you look at game three where i believe he had five points and not a single goal they're all assists because he's setting up guys who again whether he's drawing an extra man to him on an odd rush or he's putting himself in a position to be able to make those plays I mean I think one of Dreisaitl's goals on the power play they had all come over to McDavid's side um, and that you know we've seen that throughout the season Leon's able to get those one-timers off because he's left alone over there that's the advantage of having two sort of you know thoroughbred genuine scorers out there that you some teams have to make decisions. So I think you, you I, I would agree with your observation that they haven't necessarily plastered someone to them the way we've seen in the past. I don't know if LA has that guy, but I would say I also agree with Braden that Philip Deneau on occasion has had really good opportunities to shut him down. We saw that in this game. I think it's less about one guy, and I think it's more just their system is making it difficult for the kind of game the Oilers want to play when LA plays their system well. And you know, and I think that's what Todd McKel- McClellan's frustration was at the end of game three when he basically came out for about a minute and a half of a press conference and didn't ask her a single question basically said none of us were good enough we didn't play our game we got trapped playing their game what he means by that is that la has found success against the oilers and other teams throughout this year teams that are more skilled let's say than them uh, offensively because they clog up the neutral zone they make it very difficult for teams to gain entry they're good at chasing down pucks in their own zone in the corner they did something today i've I've never seen that. I I looked at and I went, how is every team not doing this on the penalty kill? You know, occasionally on a penalty kill, um, you get a chance to kind of forecheck and you see those guys try to sort of uh, take a puck deep into the offensive zone and they just try to kill clock. And often they'll pin it against the boards and maybe you know they'll get roughed up and then they turn it over. But LA was on a penalty kill. I think this is in the second or third period, and uh, I believe it was Philip Deneau had the puck deep in. The Oilers zone. He didn't take a shot, didn't get an angle to a shot. He was angled out to the corner. But instead of sort of trying to turn and kill clock, he literally cleared the zone for the Oilers. He rimmed it around the boards all the way back to LA zone as if he was icing the puck had he been an oiler and it went right back to his own defenseman and they maintained possession on the penalty kill. And I thought to myself like, this is brilliant. You, I've mm-hmm. never seen it. I've just never seen it done that way where literally a guy rimmed the puck out of the, the zone uh, all the way back to his own end because he was just, but, but that's the kind of, but he's
1: a very similar player to a, to a Zach Hyman on the penalty kill. Yeah. It's one of those guys you watch. He, he, it's like, he's got a string on a, uh, a puck on a string when he's, when he's, uh, when he's trying to defend, right in the PK, yeah. and it's also one of those guys where you just, you're. I mean, I, I don't know if you guys are the same, but every time Zach Hyman has the puck, I'm like, good job, good, yes, death, death, yes, do that. Happen. You're okay. doing, but he does it every single play, yeah. and, and it's you know, and I think it's the same for the Kings with Dano.
0: Yeah, and I think that's what the Oilers now need to turn their attention back to is they need they need more guys than just Hyman creating chances from nothing because obviously they're not going to get a lot of chances gifted to them they have to capitalize on the ones they get. And we didn't see that uh, on Sunday night, but if the Oilers can have, you know, we've seen Ryan McLeod do this in the past. We've certainly seen Evander Kane do it. He did it in game three, where these guys can kind of take over in the neutral, in the offensive zone. Once they get possession in there by just, making as you say aggressive plays to the net whether it's you know cutting in when the defense doesn't expect you to from an angle they don't expect you to and then chucking the puck into the into the blue paint as you say hyman had two or three quality chances created simply off of work ethic um and that's what the others have to go back to is those kind of fundamental pieces of it but um you know so it's it's best of three now so
1: sorry we well so elliot brought up this like this was this Not goal. How is this not goal interference in this? The third, the third goal that went in. And I'm not usually, I mean, you usually hold me to task when it comes to penalties or or it's not being the ref who, who impacted the game. But there was, like, like I said at the beginning, these it's like those misconducts if you're not going to call the cross check on nurse, you're going to call the slash and then 10 no, they, minutes and he's they call out. Both.
0: No, no, they call. I both. get
1: it. But if you're, but this is my thing. It's like, he wouldn't have had, he wouldn't have slashed this guy. If you called. Sure. <laughs> they, they were calling check. it.
0: They were calling it, Braden. That's the thing. Darnell nurse retaliated in that situation and makes the call the
1: game.
0: Yeah. They kicked both of them out of the game. Kick both nuts. out again. The Cause they're trying to control the energy of the space at that time. They've, they've already lost the room. The reality is Darnell Nurse, that was, that was a hot-headed play, though, by Darnell Nurse. If Darnell Nurse hadn't turned around and slashed him, the Oilers would have had a power play. The Oilers would have had a power play at a position in the game where they could have actually done something with it is what I'm saying. That's, that's the emotional part coming out. I, would, I, I, I made an observation probably through this game where I said, you know what's interesting about this? The Oilers, the Oilers have clearly figured out some of the demons that face them in Chicago and Winnipeg. They've clearly yeah. figured out how to win in the playoffs. That's <laughs> good. But you know the one team. thing that this core of Oilers hasn't yet done? led a series. They don't know how to close out a series as this core. This isn't the same group from 16 or whatever whatever it was. This is yeah. a different group of guys that has suffered two really difficult playoff losses that was weighing on them. They get the two the two wins, they get the lead in the series, they're feeling good about it, but they come into this game in a position to put sort of the stranglehold on and they have never been in this position yet. I think they were a little bit surprised at the top with how you know how well LA came out. The big difference for me in this game too is the physicality just fell off the charts. I, mm. I, I you know, uh, um,
2: yeah, that was
0: they, LA and and Edmonton combined for seventy five hits in game three, which is uh, the most hits of any game or any team, any game in any series so far this playoffs and the league average throughout the season was 22 hits combined. So when you think about how physical game three was, I don't know what the number of hits were in game four, but I'm telling you it did like, it was completely uh, mitigated. And then at the end, sure, it gets chippy, but that's just, that's just emotion that isn't physicality. The Oilers need to take the physicality back uh, and control that part of the game because it forced LA to make bad passes. It forced LA into situations. They didn't feel comfortable. In. uh and sure it's edmonton isn't the biggest team in the world but every single guy on that team was throwing hits and finishing checks in game three and it really did make a difference do you know what i mean let's really quickly do a. we'll do a little straw poll here so of the three of us uh i'm gonna say it's yes or no was should that have been a, a legal goal uh, elliot yes or no uh we can discuss the merits of the call after but for you was it a goal yes or no
1: yes okay Braden. goal yes or no again as it relates to how the referee should have called i don't care the, about I,
0: the referee was it a goal yes or no to your uh, eyes would you have called it a goal do you believe it was a goal a legal goal
1: no i don't know okay believe it no was a that's the answer goal.
0: okay no uh
1: i, I i'm gonna <laughs> I saw go, the with, puck go in you know, i don't elliot and it say i think it should goal. have been a goal
0: had it been an edmonton Oilers player on the other side of it i would have wanted that to be a goal the reality is they're fighting for the I would have
1: wanted it to
0: be a goal. Well, I'm saying I think it's a goal. And I would have wanted it to be called a goal either way, is what I'm saying. I'm not a, a, my emotional connection to the result Jordan, of it you're is a not in. Yeah. Let me tell you, you what in but let me tell was, so let's walk through it. Let's walk through it. Throughout this season, multiple let's break it into two pieces. With the goaltending interference, we'll come to second, because they dealt with it second. The first part is was it a was it a legal goal in terms of how the goal itself was scored. Right. He did not put the puck in with his hand. He put the puck in with his stick. Did he push the puck over the uh, goal line? He put the puck in with his stick. You I don't see the replay. any
1: conclusive evidence of that.
0: Go watch it again. They've got an overhead well, shot I think online.
2: That's, I think that's where I would say, you know, the question was, I think on the ice it was called a goal. And so then it should have stayed a goal. I think if it was on the ice it was called no goal it should have stayed no goal cuz I didn't see anything conclusive that that demonstrated it one way And round. the sure. other
1: part of that for me is okay so he pushes it in it's not about the the him pushing the puck over the line it's him pushing Mike's pad right. so out gonna, of the way So let's into get to that second goal. so
0: that's goaltender interference is where right. that falls under right That would be goaltender interference That's how
1: I would have called it as the referee sure. saw it And here's on the, the ice. result
0: but but then it, even when you then go to a replay cuz it could have been challenged either way whether you called it on the ice as goalie interference, or in this case, Jay Woodcroft takes the the risk of challenging the play. When you look at that play all season long, very consistently players who are pushed into the goaltender by a defensive player, they do not call that goaltender interference. You have to as pushed. He was tripped and it would have been a call. The referee's hand was in the air. So it was already a called penalty coming up. The contact from Darnell Nurse clearly led, led the momentum forward, and he made contact with the goaltender. It doesn't matter whether your arms moved or your head moved or what part of your body physically made contact. If you are in a in a shoving match with a defenseman and the contact from that defenseman leads you into the goaltender, they have called that not goaltender interference all season long. Yeah, because that's the same- right. That's where his it trips him. is. Darnell is trips him with his feet. One hundred percent. Watch the replay. He closes his ankles and trips him. It's a penalty if it isn't a goal. It's a penalty, and it's certainly not goaltender interference. But the, the,
2: well. the, the, I think the question is more so around
1: whether he, he, he pushed in with his glove or not. And I don't think it's conclusive one way or another. And but then it doesn't we'll matter if he tripped him in. He could push it with his head or his, you know. His...
0: I think that's where this. I think that 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 it definitely gets murky and messy when we start getting into like body parts pushing, push, pushing pucks into the net. So it's I the same thing with kicking motion, and all those things are very subjective. And obviously, yeah. the referee sees it at full speed from behind the net with bodies in front of
1: him. No, he, makes a he call. sees the guy push a, right Jordan, in the think, goalie. How is he not calling goalie interference Jordan, first? Because
2: he's trying. I think if that's uh, if that's a similar play, but instead of his hands, it's his feet you'd call that a kicking motion. I think it's a punching motion, but I don't think there was conclusive evidence enough. For is, it
0: a, is it a is it a kicking motion if he's falling down? So if he's on his, if he's literally sitting on his ass and his feet are in front of him and he pushes the puck in with his feet, how is that a kick?
2: Well, if it is a kick, but you see his arms go forward. Like I think you, there's the, yeah.
0: yeah. Well, the kick, the and kick, I think you can, can make the, the puck puck. same, you can but make just, the argument. He definitely was pushing his stick into the puck. Whether yeah. he it made contact with his glove or a stick, his intention no, I know I, I'm not. I'm
2: not. I, you know, we're arguing over you know something really fine here. I think it's a punching yeah. motion, but I don't think you can tell if it was his hand or a stick, and it was called the goal in the ice. So sure. it's a goal. The stick. And as
0: I, I'll, I'll I'll end it with this, the same way I ended the conversation that happened in my household following that goal. Uh, you're still trailing by two goals. Now it's just three. You didn't score a single goal. You're not winning that hockey game. That goal no, isn't the deciding f- factor. That yeah, isn't overtime. Yeah, yeah. It isn't the winning goal. In the end, it was not, like inconsequential. You were, you were, it may as well yeah. have been an empty net goal, frankly, oh. because at that point, you're already down to nothing and you haven't scored a goal. You didn't score a goal. You can't win a hockey game. It's that simple. So
1: Well, you can't hit uh, the net. You can't score a goal. That's the other part of the game I had a problem with. So
0: look, we've got lots obviously that we were frustrated with as fans of it. Lots to be positive about so far in this series. If I had told you a week ago that you were going to be sitting here a week later with a you know a chance to to win a series in a best of three, you'd have taken that opportunity. Compared to what we've already seen from the Oilers in previous seasons, this is a heck of a series. Now it's a real. You know, and now it's just going to come down to who who's able to rebound from this game, or in LA's case, can they carry this momentum forward? I'll give you a positive note: the Edmonton Oilers haven't lost back-to-back games under Jay Woodcroft. Uh, they in regulation, so there's positive there. They've bounced back well. We saw that in game two. I would expect that they're going to be the more aggressive team in game game five. And if they can um, get that win, they have, an opp- they have two, two opportunities to close it out. So that's, again, you take those odds. Let's leave it there for now. We're going to go to the rest of the NHL in a second. That was topic one. Do you or someone you know own a small business? Are you looking to grow or to reach new customers? Hey, why not let us help? Hattrick is looking for unique brands, businesses, and products to advertise on our show. You can find out how we can help spread the word about your business by contacting us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Okay, let's jump into topic two. Um, the idea here, here is to try our best not to dwell on the Oilers and the LA King series. There <laughs> Just was a jump l-
1: back into the Oilers. <laughs> exactly. But there is a
0: lot of good stuff going on in the NHL if you're watching it, even if you're only watching it casually, whether you're watching full games or whatever. Uh, Deuces are wild tonight. Literally, we've got (laughs) four games, I think, that ended uh, the tied up series. So Carolina and Boston is tied 2-2. Minnesota, St. Louis is tied 2-2. Toronto and Tampa is tied 2-2. And obviously, Edmonton, L.A. Uh, Fantastic hockey in a lot of these series. As Braden kind of joked about a second ago, up until game three, basically first guy to score one in the Dallas, uh, Calgary series. Maybe we should start there. Uh, impression so far of the fight in the dog when it comes to Dallas, obviously, you know, to, to take, uh, Calgary to a one to nothing win in game one, fighting them tooth and nail, and then being able to pull out game two, um, and three for that matter, Mm -hmm. uh, fantastic results from, if you're a Dallas fan, and if you're not a Calgary fan, um, what what for you Elliot would you say about this series so far uh anything anything stand out for you
2: yeah I mean I think the first two games was pretty surprising at how um uh the Calgary's inability to score I mean they didn't score a goal five on five until game three they scored three
1: goals this whole series
2: and they've scored three goals this whole series and uh and so I think that speaks to, and, and they've been, they were a good five on five team this year. That's what set them apart in the, in the division. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I think that that's the, that, that's the most surprising thing for me. I mean, this is the only way that Dallas is going to win this series, I think. Um, and, and hilariously, you know, Dallas is kind of beating them at their own game right now. Like I'm sure Sutter would be, is loving this hockey. No one else is. It's a snores fest. I, this is a series I've watched the least of. And yeah. Thank God. It's awful. Well, why would you?
0: Well, but I mean, give Jake Ottinger full credit as a goaltender. He has just been absolutely uh, phenomenal for Dallas. You know, we joked, or I maybe maybe it was just me. I joked at one point that, you know, there has been a bit of a curse recently for being that number one seed and those, those pesky wild card teams that come up and kind of get you uh, Edmonton certainly experiencing that last year with Winnipeg and I said Calgary's got to be careful here because there's something that happens when you fly too close to the sun you have a great season everything's going well for you you're expecting everything to to go well for you in the playoffs and then you kind of get hit in the face with just the difference of how playoff hockey is played and in Dallas's case remember this is a team that two years ago the large part of this this core went to the finals in the bubble. I mean, there's a lot of playoff experience on the Dallas oh, yeah. stars. A lot of guys who have a lot to prove still they're well coached. They're, they're clearly playing a good system against Calgary. And as you know, it may not be exciting hockey, but it is certainly uh, it's certainly dramatic and interesting to look at from the outside. When you think about the fact that Calgary, everyone, everyone had their expectations on Calgary, obviously. Lavelle's um, uh, got
1: three goals as well. So uh, yeah, he's exactly. got three and Calgary is the team. Three.
0: No, It really does feel like every game starts in overtime, It's sort of like first guy to score really has is more, you know, they, they win the game. So, um, uh, another series that we were really excited about Elliot, especially was, was Minnesota St. Louis. You both kind of scoffed at me when it came to, uh, my suggestion that St. Louis, you know, was able to match them goaltending was they certainly didn't game one. They posted a shutout there for nothing uh, there, but then Minnesota bouncing right back, putting six in and then five in. And now tonight St. Louis puts five in. So this is one of those, this is like the opposite of the Calgary series where we're just seeing these huge scoring games as, as I think one of you sort of mentioned in the, in the prelim. I mean, this is a huge uh, trend right now across the board or big high scoring affairs, uh, the NHL must love it because they've done everything they possibly can to try to get scoring up in the NHL. <laughs> but what, what are your impressions so far of this series, Elliot? Do you think Minnesota uh, is struggling a little bit to figure out what they, uh, what, which goaltender they really need in that uh, night tonight here?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's part of the question. I, I mean, I think the St. Louis Blues are also having facing that question as well, too. Yeah. I
0: Bennington
2: to win tonight was his first win. Uh, since the playoffs down the Stanley cup. Yeah. Yep, yep. Um, so, so, you know, th- this is a bit of a, th- they're both a little bit on shaky ground on that run. I mean, this is a real back and forth series. I really like Minnesota, but, um, and, and I really like Capriza. I have got five goals already in this series and, and, uh, and so I, my money's still on Minnesota, but this is tight, man. And one of the more interesting series for sure.
0: Well, and much like the Oilers in L.A., it's the two and the three playing each other, and clearly they are very close uh, against each other. Let's jump to the other side, Braden. Does the intensity and sort of uh, now like literal literal uh, sort of aggression of the Carolina-Boston series surprise you at all when you think about who those two combatants are?
1: Absolutely. Uh, I think Carolina is a, a really fierce team. Boston has a bit, you know, quite a bit of their core, namely Brad Marchand. He came out on fire today with five, five points. I, I think this game, I mean, I was a little, I certainly was surprised to see Boston as, as um, competitive as I thought they would, you know, that I thought they were going to get swept, I think against Carolina. So to see them tied at two right now is a bit of a surprise, but um but I'm impressed. I'm, I'm impressed. I mean, it, I think I think now having it be a two-two, this is this is sure to go seven. I, I don't th- I, you know much like what you guys said with Minnesota St. Louis, you're you're starting to see just how much the battle back and forth. And who knows? Maybe we do see this with the Oilers and, and the Kings. Um, but but these series are going to go deep. I think.
0: Obviously, a lot of uh, emotion boiling over in that game. I don't know if you could, if you caught the whole Todd or Brad Marchand, I was call Todd Todd Marchand. Todd Marchand
1: <laughs> is a deep cut.
0: Brad Marchant and uh, Tony D'Angelo uh, exchange there. Brad Marchant shouting at him, "You're a fucking racist. You're a racist." And then oh boy, the best part of that, that exchange being when the referee told him to stop. He turned to the referee and goes, "But he is," <laughs> which was just classic. Brad Marchant uh, and then obviously Tony D'Angelo continuing to be the pest that he is. So this is a series that I think the the temperature is slowly rising. And now that we're into a best of three again in this one, it'll be really fascinating to see how, how uh, the coaches manage it, how the referees manage it and where this series can go. Cause it could get out of hand here real quick. Let's jump to another uh, interesting one. I don't know if we would call it as dramatic as that, but it's certainly interesting. Um, we, we, I think Elliot suggested we may have even eulogized Pittsburgh, frankly, in our playoff preview, we kind of talked about the fact that they were ready for a rebuild, but Pittsburgh finds himself up 2 one oh. against the Rangers. Um, they're not ready for a rebuild yet. The big question is, uh, is, is New York just a, another one of these teams that is lacking a little bit of the playoff experience that uh, maybe would have, as the favorites going into that series would have really put them over the top. And are they still sort of figuring it out? I mean, obviously game one goes to three overtimes before Pittsburgh wins it, uh, New York bouncing back with a five, two win, and then, ten, uh, uh, yesterday, sa- Saturday night, Pittsburgh winning seven, four, um, game four goes Monday, but this is another, just one of those series that like, this, goals are going in left and right on both teams. Um, thoughts on, on New York, Pittsburgh.
2: Yeah, I think that's a bit revisionist. I'm pretty sure I picked Pittsburgh to win this series, though I said it would be tough. And I said, (laughs) I didn't want to uh, bet against Malkin and Crosby. And this is exactly why. I think you hit the nail right on the head. I mean, there's a team here with tons of playoff experience, but maybe maybe the second best team in overall. Uh, You know, if you took their uh, NHL 2022 ratings as teams, you know, the New York Rangers are probably better. Uh, They certainly are in the standings, um, but they are playing a very experienced team with some champions on it. And I think you're seeing that. I mean, this series is close, though. 7-4 last night aside. I mean, the New York Rangers take game one if their last minute goal isn't called back for goaltender interference on what is also, I think, a 50-50 play when you go back and look at it. As well, too. So what do you mean I mean,
1: also, you guys determined that it wasn't 50-50. I, guess, I said it was 50-50. <laughs> I said it was 50/50. Not I
2: cool um, but uh uh that, this series has been really interesting, and what's great is because uh, you know, if there's one American series that you're gonna see in Canada, it's the one that Sidney Crosby's in. So we, we've gotten to see a lot of these games, and I've really enjoyed it. I really think the New York Rangers are gonna be a sweet team uh to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this might be the learning experience. Losing to Pittsburgh like this might be the learning
1: experience that they need to have.
0: Well, certainly not over. It's only two one, but we'll see what happens with that one. Speaking of another two one, another uh, no. I gotta series. talk.
1: I gotta talk about this. I gotta talk. All about right, this. all right, all right. The fact that Pittsburgh has now lost Tristan Jari and Casey De Smith and are playing Louis Domingue. As they're starting, go- like the only thing worse than losing in triple overtime is losing both of your goalies. And I know Jari was out before and we're seeing in another series like Carolina's lost Freddie Anderson. I don't know how long he's going to be out. Darcy Kemper took a stick to the eye. Like when it comes to goalies, <laughs> the, the impact they have in the playoffs, it's going to be a problem. And I really don't think Pittsburgh is going to be able to hold on with Louis Deming in the playoffs here unless they have this freak Michael Layton out of Philly experience, but I just don't think that's going to happen.
0: Fair enough. Jumping to another 2-1 series, as I say, and also another top-ranked team facing some early adversity, Washington is up 2-1 on Florida. Surprise anything, Elliot?
2: Oh, yeah, very surprised. I, I didn't think that Washington had a chance in the series. I think Florida – I thought – Florida was the team I picked to win the Stanley Cup in, in, in my head when we started – and thinking about it, and I think that uh, uh, you, you've got to be shocked, and and in pretty convincing fashion. But Washington's won those games as well too. I uh, I four think four two and six one, yeah, yeah. I think we're we're headed towards uh, a pretty long series here. And I mean, if Florida was a first round exit, you know, you got to think about guys like Giroux and um, I think Thornton's on that team too, right? Yep, yep. yep. Thornton must just think he's cursed if they go out in the first round <laughs> <laughs> like, like that he to me I, I I just I felt very strongly that Florida was was the pick at the east at least to make it to the eastern finals to be down two one to Washington in the first round and you know game four in Washington mm, I don't know seems pretty pretty nervous.
0: Uh, you mentioned Braden Darcy Kemper, obviously a question mark for game four after taking that stick through the mask to the eye, but Colorado drifts, I mean, is doing exactly what I think everyone expected. Give um, Nashville some credit. They did take game two to overtime, but really uh, Colorado is what we expected them to be, aren't they,
1: Braden? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can, I'm, I'm so high on Kale McCarr. This, this guy, like it's, it reminds me of, uh prime brent burns eric carlson chris letang is, but like better this guy it, you, you've got a forward playing excellent d uh this guy will win the norris i believe this year uh it's it's crazy what i mean and then i'm, I'm not even mentioning the speed of mckinnon and Landeskog and rantanen and cadres come on like this team is uh they're doing exactly what everybody anticipated uh, Coming or expected from them this the, the, in the playoffs in this first round. And they're just going to, I really believe they're just going to continue to do it.
0: Let's round it out with the other series that I would argue has the same level of expectation. The Oilers have on them, if not higher in the Toronto Maple Leafs and a series that kind of right now is mirroring it. We've got literally back to back to back, uh, Winners for each of these teams. So, obviously, Toronto jumped out to a great lead in the series with their huge five nothing win. But then they fall, letting in five of their own in mm-hmm. Game Two, five three. And then, literally, if you score five goals or more, you're winning. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which you should expect, I suppose. This is, you know, five goals is a lot. But basically what I should say is if you score more than three, you're going to win because that's what all it is. The game three, Toronto scores five, they win five, two. And then obviously Sunday night, Tampa Bay bounces back with a seven, three win. So that is it also means if
1: you put in TV five series. goals, you're going to let in five goals the next
0: game. Well, that's the thing. I mean, that's, what's fascinating about it is that both the Oilers uh, series and the Leaf series, they, as I say, they kind of mirror each other in the rhythm of how this is playing out. Um we expected that this would be a tight series. Obviously, we we talked about you know Toronto kind of drawing the short stick here when it came to opponents in the first round. But when you think about it, uh obviously very evenly matched. They've they've come this this far, even. Uh Elliot, when you look at this, who do you give the edge to here moving into game five and then through the rest of the series? Or or is it still too close to even do that?
2: <clears throat> I just there's not been a game in this series that's been close, so it's really hard to kind of tell what's going on. I, I think in the games they've lost, Toronto's not played up to their potential. And I think on the whole, Toronto's a better team. But you, just like when we were talking about Pittsburgh, you cannot deny the value of having players who have been there before and won the championship before. And not only does T- is Tampa Bay chock full of those guys, they're chock full of guys that have done it twice back to back in very different scenarios and in situations. And they're, they're playing in front of one of the best, if not the best goalie in the league. I feel like I'm, I'm sort of rehashing what we said last week, uh, namely Braden, but it, it's come to fruition. I, I mean, I think you maybe give a slight edge to Toronto because there you've got home ice advantage for these next three games. Um, they have to win at home. And uh, and if they do that, they're fine versus Tampa Bay that's going to need to take one on the road. Um, but they've shown they can do that. So, I, I mean, it's close, but I think maybe slight
0: edge Toronto. And
2: I think I picked Toronto to come out of this series. So I'll stick with my guns.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess that's well, that's the exciting part about it. We'll come down to the next couple of days and we'll see where we get to. As I say, most of these series look like they're going to go longer i mean color colorado i think is pretty much done and dusted whether nashville pulls one out or not i mean you're not coming back three nothing against that top team unless the you know we'd have an epic collapse but most of these series look like they're going to go at least six or seven uh which is exciting it's good for the sport it's good for the, the league i would argue and and you know i don't agree with gary bettman on almost anything but he did have a, a short media veil in edmonton uh, i believe before game two um, and one of the things he talked about was, you know, some people were asking about playoff format and maybe they should add more teams and the fact that they have, they have the same number of teams now in the league, um, that they did when they had 26 teams in the league prior to some earlier expansion and all of these things. And does the NHL playoff need a retooling? I think a lot of that coming from, you know, the play in games and the NBA and people looking at other leagues and what they're doing. And Gary Bettman sort of said, no, I don't think we need to follow the lead of other leagues because I think that if you look at our playoff format and specifically our round one it is by far the most competitive and exciting round one of any major sport in north america and i think this is proving that in spades i would agree i think whether we want to get into the semantics of the stanley cup is the hardest trophy to win or not i would argue that the first round of the nhl playoffs the competition level the aggression level The uh, stakes are high in every single series, even in again, even in what looks like a, 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 you know, a route three, nothing up for Colorado game two was an overtime game. That's exciting hockey. You know, the stakes are there for every fan base. Everybody can invest in it. And we, we wait and see what happens. But I think Gary Bettman, at least on that one note is right. The NHL playoffs has not disappointed in round one. Any last thoughts on round one so far, uh, Braden?
1: Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be great to see how far some of these series go because I, I truly think we're gonna see a lot of game sevens in this first round.
0: Elliot,
2: the other thing I would say is all the best series right now are the two versus three seeds: uh, Toronto, Tampa Bay, Edmonton, L.A., Pittsburgh, New York. Uh, I forget what the fourth one was, but Carolina. <clears throat> no, Saint, Carolina
1: Saint,
2: Louis- Saint Louis, oh, Minnesota. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Those are the best series. Those are the closest sure. we should have come to, we, you know, we don't, you know, that's usually the four versus five series is always very close in, in the previous format. So none of us should be surprised, but having four of those versus two in the previous makeup, uh, I think is really the league hitting it on. So also in terms of excitement and I'm just happy to yeah. next week. We'll see. Go Oilers.
0: All right. We'll leave it there. That's topic two. Do
1: you like fast cars? you like when they race? Whether you're a seasoned Formula One fan or you've just discovered the rush of racing, check out the Pit Stop podcast presented by the Ordinary Podcasting Network. Join Jordan, Tyler, and Brayden each week as they recap every race as well as break down the biggest stories on and off the track, all before setting you up for the next race in the Formula One schedule. The Pit Stop podcast is available anywhere you get your podcasts. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, topic three is a bit of a grab bag. We haven't done this really before, but basically we're, we're turning this over and kind of giving each of us an opportunity to throw some story out there from around the sports world in the last week that we wanted to just sort of get the other... Uh, guys' opinions on and thoughts like that. So obviously, lots going on. There's baseball being played, and we know Elliot and his beloved Padres <laughs> are into it. Braden and his beloved Blue Jays are into it. Uh, the NBA playoffs uh, tick along. We haven't given them much love, but uh, they are what they are. And uh, lots of other unique sporting events that come up and 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 sort of uh, arrive at this time of year. We obviously talked Masters a couple of weeks ago. Um, let me lead this segment off. I don't know if either of you watched or cared or caught any of the Kentucky Derby. It's obviously the most exciting, you know, two minutes in sport. It's a lot of buildup for uh, what is a very short race. I believe uh, this race on Saturday was the shortest Kentucky Derby in history as in the fastest, um, which also I think played to the result. Uh, Rich Stake, who was a, uh, 80 to one upset winner on the Kentucky Derby. He is the second longest odds to ever win the Kentucky Derby, the longest odds, I believe coming in 1913. So that's a hell of a long streak for a, for a horse with that sort of high, a betting line, including 99 to one uh, a day earlier. So he rich stakes give full credit to, to uh, the horse give jockey, Sonny Leone. Um, full credit for pulling the, uh, what was a miracle race out. Um, give the Kentucky Derby credit for finally having a race after two very controversial years. Two years ago, we had a, the winner disqualified because of uh, a violation on track. Last year we had the winner disqualified because of illegal um, uh, steroids that were rubbed on a skin condition. Bob Baffert, the famed <laughs> trainer, obviously being suspended as a result. Lots of drama in what is already a very dramatic sport, but uh, I don't know if either you caught it or cared or thought about it, but for me, that was a really fun and exciting. It comes once a year. It's a Kentucky Derby. I mean, what else are you going to say? It's a bunch of ponies running in a circle, but it's exciting.
1: <laughs> but it's exciting. It well, is. I it's great it's to see animals you, racing. A competition in any avenues. Is exciting and when you have,
0: when you have, When you have a horse that is again, no one expected to be there, but also like the way
1: he came back. (laughs) It's a great story. He was in
0: the middle of the pack. I don't know if you saw the photos of it. Both the horse's face and the jockey looked like they had been mud wrestling because they had been in the pack behind all these other horses the whole way. I'm surprised either of them could even see that they had won by the time they got through the through through the field. But a lot of the favorites, including the horse named Messier fell off near the end because of the pace these horses had never run this fast you know they were not expected to the race to go at this speed so a lot of these horses are just not i mean they're fast but they don't i mean it's like taking a hundred yard sprinter and asking him to run 1500 meters at top speed eventually he's gonna run out of steam uh and so obviously this horse condition wise and and that was great
1: to see it pulled it through i want to know about this messier horse
0: yeah there was a horse named messier owned by some canadian japanese uh investors hockey fans clearly named their horse messier
2: yeah it's the daughter of uh, a former oiler that was on like the the 80s team stuff she's a part owner in it too jordan this is going to follow the same like trajectory that it goes every year where there's going to be some interest in this until the next race in the triple crown inevitably the horse is not going to win the next race in the triple crown and then we're going to forget about it until
0: next year right probably we i mean obviously american pharaoh won the triple crown a few years ago first time in a very long time it's probably, the, well, this horse is, I mean, if this horse wins the triple crown, this will be the greatest story in sports history, period. And of conversation. It will be every movie, every TV series that's on the books right now, sports where they mm-hmm. tear them up, burn them down. This will be the story because if this horse, if this horse wins another race, it will be impressive. Right. I don't think this horse had won a race period. You know, he's a three-year-old uh, uh, horse. I don't think he's won anything. He's shown maybe a couple of times. He's clearly fast. No one, no one except. No, anyone who tells you they expected, including the trainer, tells you they expected him to win is full of shit. Here, however, there is one Canadian connection I think you should know. This horse's mare, so his mother, was bred in Manitoba. So he Pretty has cool. Canadian lineage, mm. which is kind of fun. Also, an that interesting story, and this is a sad story a little bit, but, but you know, it, it it's still... I don't know these there's always you know when you get a horse that wins, there's always sort of like you dig into all of the um uh other parts of it or whatever. There was a lot of sort of controversy about how this horse behaved after winning. So if you know horse racing, though the, the horse wins, and then when the when the winner oh no no, but once the horse wins, <laughs> they're gathered by what they call the literally these like support horses, right? So non-horse <laughs> racing um horses uh-huh. by stewards if you call them a kind of like a racing term or whatever similar i don't know if they're actually called stewards but if it was right. formula one to be called stewards anyway they're like they're like officials or whatever they come over and they take control of the horse from the jockey to ensure that the horse goes wherever it needs to for whether it's post-race testing whether it's whatever and in this case to the winner's circle so this other horse who's just like a normal everyday workhorse was basically like savaged by this winning horse because they're right up next to each other and and the what? the the racehorse literally started biting like what? attacking this horse's neck and for a very awkward time the camera stayed on them and they <laughs> watched as this like, people poor like this. marshal in his like red hat and red coat had to start like hitting the racehorse <sighs> in the face to get him to not attack the neck of the horse he was riding. And it do you was know definitely- which
1: horse it was because I got some of the names here. Um epicenter rich rich strike oh it was that one it wasn't tis the bomb or Or happy jack what about the the horse that lost this race the horse that lost this race (laughs) his name was summer is tomorrow
0: when you say when (laughs) you say lost this race do you mean as in came in last
1: yeah well there were two that didn't finish apparently or maybe they didn't even get to start the race
0: one didn't start one well one
1: ethereal story. road and rattle and roll didn't didn't yeah. post any text here.
0: one last story and I, I i just wanted to mention this part because again there's sort of there's sort of three facets of horse racing there's the jockey that everybody knows obviously they ride the horse and they make decisions in the race there's the trainer mm-hmm. who develops the plan to make sure this horse gets to where they need to get to potential and there's the owner and obviously the owner is the big wealthy guy who, who who owns the horse and breeds the horse and pays for it this horse Um, was owned by Richard Dawson, hence the Rich Strike, part of his name. Uh, Red TR Racing, they've trained a lot of horses over the years. They've owned a lot of horses um, over the years. However, in 2018, in California, the wildfires burned part of their ranch down and killed 80 animals. Oh, no, no. And he left horse racing as a result because they were so devastated by the loss oh. of all of these animals. And it was only after being pushed very oh. strongly by the trainer of this specific horse that he should buy this horse and they should race this horse. This horse was bought a, a year and a half ago by Richard Dawson for less than $200,000. Oh, you want to take a Lord. guess what this horse is worth today?
1: Oh, millions
0: yeah this horse even if he never wins another race he they estimate he'll probably be just just the the breeding rights alone to this horse will be over a million dollars he's probably close now to about a 200 maybe 300 million dollar horse it's pretty pretty good investment i would say that's wild anyway any other sports stories i've kind of dominated this topic the point was we were going to jump in with other things what have you been watching what are you interested in Elliot?
2: Yeah, I continue my Padres fandom as you mentioned off the top. They are like 17 and 10 this year, not (laughs) particularly amazing, but they're beating the teams that they're supposed to be beating. Every once in a while, they get spanked eight nothing and. You know, me along with all the Padres faithful start to say, oh, this is the end. This is the infrastructure crumbling apart. The team's going to fall apart because they really can't hit guys. It's kind of embarrassing. But they are a really good defensive team and they continue to pitch well. They've got probably some of the best starting pitching in the league and their bullpen's held out. Then you really can't complain. It's not a bad way to win baseball games. Maybe they're on their way to a 90-win season. The only concern I have is that they've played they're playing the best division in baseball and they've played one series against San Francisco and one series against the Dodgers. And while they did get a win in both series, they lost both series. So putting them up against, you know, their divisional rivals, they're still not quite at that level, but you've had big steps taken uh, across the field. Hassan Kim, who I remember, you guys remember, that was the Jersey I wanted having an outstanding year playing consistently in third and, and, and shortstop, you know, they're just playing good baseball, and uh, and they just need to be kind of this good until Tatis Jr. comes back, and then all bets are off. They could certainly be a playoff team this year.
1: will well, I mean –
0: They're sitting there. They're sitting there, one and a half games back of the Dodgers. They're ahead of the Giants, so that there's got to be something. When is Tatis supposed to be
2: back? They've played a lot easier competition, I would say. Like they they swept the Reds and stuff. Like uh, that being said, they're winning the games they need to win. When is Tatis back? They're being relatively tight lipped about that. Some people think June. Some people think August. I mean, half the question is not when he comes back, but also what's he going to be when he comes back. It's a broken wrist (sighs) we're talking about here. So um, I think if the team is good and they're continuing to sort of be in the playoff hunt, you will see them try and wait for as long as possible. Um, But it's really going to be dependent on sort of how that recovery goes. And so far, every time he's had an injury, he's come back really quickly. So that's, and that sort of gives me a lot of hope. But uh, it's anyone's guess at
1: this point. Elliot, do you watch all of these games? Do you record them and you watch all these games? Or do you watch Padres in 30? I haven't watched a single pitch of Padres
2: baseball uh, uh, this year. I just follow all the fan sports podcasts, and I have it on the app. So I know every game that they play and what happens in every game. So you're not even a Padres fan. You're a Padres
1: podcast fan. Yeah. Basically, no, but like, I know it's half of
0: baseball, like they play four hundred and fifty yeah. games a year. I don't like, have to don't watch, play. I don't have to watch. I can just I can
2: watch, I can read the box score, and I know exactly what that's I what I
0: mean. Play. They play like seven thousand games. It doesn't matter if you watch every game or every inning or even if sure you watch any at all. No, I think that baseball is one of the great great sports of being able to be a casual fan because at the end of the day, none of this matters until October. Yeah. You you know if your team's gonna make it or not pretty much by the end of June, and then you wait and see what happens. Well, and- that's not true.
1: There's some pretty tight wildcard races. No,
2: yeah, it could be tight. Like, I mean, I think the Padres are gonna be on you know, the
1: Padres need Even to stay. Even with seven thousand games.
2: <laughs> they, they need to stay yeah. healthy, and there's like there's stuff that can happen in between now and there. Like they're a middle of the pack team. I mean, the Dodgers are gonna be in the playoffs and they're gonna be good and they're likely gonna win. The Yankees are gonna probably likely gonna be the team that comes out of the
1: easy, US. easy, easy. Yeah, <laughs> the New York the Yankees. Yankees have been coming on hot, but we've the Jays have had some really tough uh, uh, series lately. So, so this I, is, I wouldn't I wouldn't hold that up. This is all great.
0: This is all great. But Elliot, what I was really hoping you were going to talk about was whether or not the Rocket won in in snooker. Did he win the tournament? Oh
2: yeah, he did win. Yeah, he's now tied for the record for the most uh, Masters championships, and he's just further solidified himself as the uh, the greatest the goat of all time. Yeah, no, nice. he's the goat. He's the Tom Brady oh, of the How and fast he did he not-
1: uh, did he win that?
2: Uh, it, well, it, this is the championship. The final one is like it's a best of thirty-five. So he played over. They played over like three days. I think they do a morning and an afternoon and an evening session. Nonstop. Uh, they just
1: just no. 24 they play, they
2: play <laughs> sets of five. I think or sets of seven per session, uh, and then you go away and you have a break. That's because that's the thing about pool. It's like anyone can get hot and win a couple games. But what, what, what makes snooker so incredible is that the best players are playing consistently great throughout the entire tournament over multiple days, over multiple sessions in one day. So you can play well in the morning, come back in the afternoon and not be as well, or your opponent is playing much better, and uh, you can, they can really flip the script on
1: you. So in order-
0: question. Are you allowed to drink while playing snooker?
1: Yeah, because that's how I get hot at playing any pool. I don't think they drink,
0: no. Okay, because apparently another very popular sport in the UK, as I drink. assume snooker is, is darts. <laughs> and, and there's been guys, a lot of controversy yeah. this year because several of the the professional dart um, players have been pushing back against new regulations. They've been limited now to five pints per match, and they say that that's not enough.
1: Not enough?
0: Yeah, they're arguing that they shouldn't be limited to just five. <laughs>
1: I think uh, think it can't be considered a performance-enhancing anything.
0: Yeah, they're not allowed to drink it on television, but they are still permitted to drink it during a match. But now they've been limited to five (laughs) pints.
1: Pints. And and I'm just... (laughs) What sure, I would yes. say
2: is so no snooker and darts are very different and attract very different crowds. Snooker can get a little wild, but you'll see if you ever watch snooker, there's actually a strict enforcement of like utter silence no drinking. And, yeah. oh, silence. and so it's like, if you yelled or you wouldn't record, do enough, well, Brady. Please,
1: enough, please, enough no. please. Neither of us would
2: they're playing no. in suits and bow ties and stuff.
1: This is not, it's very different culture. That's and- awesome though. Bowling well, maybe- would be an interesting one. Maybe that's one you can drink as well. Yeah.
0: Maybe um, Braden. we'll leave it to you here. What's your, uh, what's your contribution to our uh, um, cornucopia well, it, of sports consumption this weekend?
1: We won't, we won't get too much into this race, but on the, on the feet in the, in the same track as, um, Uh, controversy what what do you guys take have you heard anything about this jewelry um ban that the fi is or uh that f1's uh, adopting? maybe jordan you can enlighten elliot a little bit about what because you'll you'll have better language to what this ban actually is and and uh and the protesting that's happening in f1 yeah
0: so uh basically this year with the two new um uh, race directors that were brought in after the whole Michael Massey thing. Um, a few different rules that have basically been enhanced to try to, you know, improve safety and all these kinds of things. But a few of them have certainly garnered some attention. Let's say one of them being that there's a new enforcement of, um, uh sort of restricting drivers from wearing any type of jewelry in the vehicle the argument being the only thing drivers should be wearing in the vehicle is safety approved um it has to be safety approved or whatever under the sort of racing code so you know you've got to be in flame retardant under layers you've got a flame retardant um racing suit you've got flame retardant gloves you've got flame retardant boots you've got a racing helmet and these all have to be set to a specific code and there's you know there's a very strict rules about it and it makes sense look at roman grosjean literally climbing out of an inferno because clearly the safety precautions that f1 had put in place um saved his life minor burns I, i shouldn't say minor they were pretty bad but he would call them minor burns to his hands. He still has his hands. Uh, and when you compare the injuries he suffered to someone like Nikki Lauder, who was back in the seventies in a fiery inferno and, you know, walked out of that, you know, in a, in absolutely horrific shape um, the sports come a long way. So anyway, the point being, they have banned all forms of jewelry and piercings inside the vehicle. And there's been a lot of pushback about this because there's a suggestion that there's really only one driver who is heavily pierced. And, Is known for wearing a fair amount of jewelry and he happens to also be the only black driver in the field. And so there's a lot of pushback about whether or not this is a a rule that is meant for everyone or a rule that is targeting a single person. Um, And so this weekend in Miami, uh, in a bit of an act of protest, Lewis Hamilton arrived at the driver's press conferences wearing four watches. About 17 necklaces. <laughs> he made sure every piercing he has in his body was out. the largest diamond piercing he physically Drecked. had and went in there with, I think, like six rings on every finger. Uh, he looked <laughs> literally like one of two things. It was awesome. He was like a background performer in Pirates of the Caribbean or two. Like he j- literally <laughs> just inherited a jewelry store's entire uh, inventory. He's um, like, I gotta wear them all. He's moving. And the joke he made was no, no, I, this. I I need these three watches. One is uh, is English time, one is Miami time, and the other one is hammer time. And he made, you know, (laughs) he very much tongue in cheek was making a point about the fact that this is a ridiculous rule. Should drivers be wearing a huge amount of chains and jewelry? Of course not. Is any driver really doing that? No. You know, uh-huh. what other sport is banning, a, a, a you know, a, a little crucifix on a gold chain? Nobody. Right. Baseball players are are allowed certain things. Then there's certain rules about yeah, it. But baseball it players
1: yeah, don't necessarily like combust into the flames. But... And I get
0: that. I get that. The other part of it, though, that I think is interesting, because um, when you compare it to some of the other rules that have gone in, it certainly it means it's it. It, it, it makes sense the one that's really funny and was attached to that Braden, and i don't mean to jump on your point but i don't know if you also saw this um but the other rule is that there's also been a crackdown on underwear because there has been oh, a yeah. lot of report that a lot of these drivers in the wear last them? couple of years no in the last couple of years have not been wearing the flame retardant underwear because it's uncomfortable uh, so they've been wearing right. like boxer briefs or like regular fruit of the loom or whatever underwear under their racing suits because obviously no one was really checking for it. And yeah. this year now, they're being tested uh, and checked, basically having to go into a private room and oh remove my. the top layer to ensure that everything they're wearing is safe. And uh, again, another protest occurred with our other favorite Formula One driver, Sebastian Vettel, who arrived at his press conference with a pair of boxer briefs worn over his racing suit, which looked absolutely <laughs> for <them> amazing. <laughs> um and awesome. like, I, I i encourage everyone to go google this because it really was wonderful um he he yeah he showed up wearing a pair of sort of gray <laughs> but you know gray you know it's only gonna briefs.
1: take it's only gonna take one event where a car sets on fire or the guy's wearing the wrong box race and you know one one roasty toasty wiener might yeah. turn things around. There.
0: Regardless, it was a it was certainly a funny story. So I do appreciate you bringing it up, Ray. That was pretty funny. Did you have a thought or, or two on it? Do you, Do you think that they should be cracking <laughs> do I, down on these things?
1: I think it, it, I mean is it overreach? I, I, I guess think is the question. I think Underreach, if you will, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's there is uh, um, proper attire uh, equipment. I guess is a better way to to. But in terms of uh, yeah. It, a nose ring or a piercing is going to impede or, or you know, contradict uh, the the rule around safety. I think it's a bit of an overreach. For sure.
0: I mean, I think the argument about the like the piercings part is is if the flame retardant gear you're wearing outside of that isn't uh, protecting. Those elements of your body, I don't think the piercing is going to be the problem. Yeah,
1: well, it would, right? uh, by I the time the fire would, gets to the nipple up, ring like or it, the, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the
0: whatever, already in
1: danger. That's what yeah. I'm saying at that point. Well, that's really, what, well, yeah. The, the the jewelry thing for sure, I, I think is no overreach the, the undergarment part, I think that's just FIA encouraging well, but safety here's part of and the, you know, not fair, earning their drag. fair. Here is I think <laughs> part of the pushback because Pierre
0: Gasly also had a comment about this. He says, "I what I don't understand is why I can't wear." something comfortable underneath the flame mm. retardant equipment, as long as I'm wearing what I'm supposed to be wearing. So for example, why can't he double up? He could wear, you know, a nice pair of jockey shorts underneath that are comfortable. Maybe Just one of those ones that Speedo like separates, you separates the business so that you don't chafe. And then he could wear his flame retardant pants over.
1: Maybe. Them. Yeah. Maybe he's got a deal with sacks or something that, that he, you know, it's actually a sponsorship issue.
0: Well, if he doesn't, Vettel certainly should, should have made that deal before he <laughs> showed up. You know what he looked like? You know what it reminded me of?
1: When you went for Batman
0: at Halloween and you just wore your underwear over your pants and you'd look like a superhero, that's what he looked like. Sebastian Vettel also, not to get too into the weeds, showed up to the press conference wearing a t-shirt that was um, a bit of a protest in and of itself. It was a photograph of a snorkel mask and, and mask with water up to the eyes. And underneath it said, welcome to the Miami Grand Prix 2060, the first Grand Prix underwater. Oh which was clearly a statement about global warming and rising sea levels and Sebastian Vettel has done uh, a lot of uh let's say um messaging throughout the year obviously he's wearing a support you know end war um peace in ukraine helmet this year he's not been afraid to wear uh rainbow pride gear in some of the countries that they have raced in where they are very oppressive Uh, Laws against such things. Both he and Lewis Hamilton made comments on the whole Roe v. Wade situation going on in the United States. So there was definitely a lot of, and I think these two drivers especially are the two that at this point have very little to lose and have a lot of personal investment in, you know, the things they care about. Anyway, Elliot, have you ever had a job where someone regulated your undergarments?
1: I'm trying to think I love that he has to think about it. Like, yeah, maybe that was the <laughs> I, case. I've worked a lot of jobs. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, let me just think back to this. Oh, uh, yeah, you know, no, no, that's right. <laughs>
2: I would say I was strongly encouraged to wear um American
0: Eagle underwear when I worked at oh, but there was no like that's spot a brand checks, yet. right? There was no spot uh, checks in the back. Let me see the waist.
2: We can't talk about what happened
1: in the back room of American Eagle. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, we don't want to go into oh, that. Oh god. Uh, yeah. Well, when I was a mascot, I I for sure did not wear any uh, undergarments, and not similar to Pierre Gasly. Hold on, hold on, hold on,
0: hold on, hold on, hold on. Are you telling me that when you were inside that giant blue cat suit for the Edmonton so, Cracker Cats, you were naked?
1: It's so fucking hot,
0: Braden. Braden, I was one of the other people who had to wear that thing. <laughs> this I is, thought that's this just what everybody was doing.
1: There was a list of sheet. There was a sheet of the equipment and the undergarment. Not on it. Wow. Well, that, that explains the uh, crabs outbreak amongst Matt Scott and in, uh, in the early 20s Serious
0: problem. Very serious problem. Yeah, All sorry, right. Yeah.
1: Well, the team's if- back. There's a brand new team in Edmonton, and the Edmonton Riverhawks. Go check them out. The West Coast League is back and ready to go for. Uh, yeah, Randy like greg has been really
2: invested in that. I think.
1: Oh, is that who's taking it on? there look at the look at the color scheme look at the see if you would as a Padres fan would be interested in any of their merchandise because myself not at all it looks terrible it's like nobody really decided to design it do they sell undergarments though oh likely not no <laughs> not a time that.
0: might be time that for some it. undergarments on our on our website store I'm just thinking that too. yeah
1: tanti polling
0: well let's leave it there for now this has been a great episode uh shout out to all of those out there uh who are wearing safety undies Braden, thank you elliot thank you thanks to everybody for listening um we do appreciate it as always if you haven't yet please subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts leave us a comment leave us a note on instagram or twitter and uh and pass pass this podcast on to your friends maybe they're interested in learning more about uh about the things we're talking about safety garments and jewelry and uh you know maybe we'll get into a a a more in thorough you know what elliot i was just thinking before i wrap this up we don't we don't have a snooker podcast on the network i'm just i'll just leave that there yeah call it balls in the pocket all right that's our show for this week that's hatrick
1: balls in the pocket
0: Hattrick is a member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It's produced every week by Jordan Dyler-Coltman and Braden Dyler-Coltman. And follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening.